Hey, I want us to go together to the gospel account of Luke tonight for a few moments. It's a funny thing how God sometimes leads me to our teachings from week to week. Sometimes he may choose to make it known as I'm reading through his word. Sometimes it may come during a time of praising or praying. Sometimes he might use an experience or a conversation that I've had with somebody. It's just funny how it can vary oftentimes to how I arrive at a passage each week that I feel like he's led us to. And contrary to what might be popular belief, I don't sit down in my office, magically flip my Bible open, and God illuminates a certain passage of Scripture off the page, and then we rock and roll with it for that week. Sometimes it's painstaking effort and searching. Sometimes it's me wandering up into the last minute what exactly it is that he would have for us tonight. And so I'd been searching the scriptures, petitioning in prayer, asking for his guidance and his direction, and my heart never could settle on anything. And so I got up to go outside and just take a walk. How many of you know sometimes you just got to walk things out a little bit? Midterms are getting close. Sometimes you just got to get up and take a break. Sometimes you got to walk things out. You got to get in the sunshine a little bit to get a little bit of inspiration. So I got up, walked outside the office just to walk around and see if we could, you know, shake something down somewhere. Like, come on, Lord, like I need something. I've been at it for hours. I can't get anything. I'm not hearing anything from you. And as soon as I got out of the door, for some reason, a particular account in scripture popped into mind, which just so happens to be the account that we're going to look at here in these next few moments. But it didn't take me long to realize that it, it wasn't random that it came to mind. Touch somebody next to you and tell them it's not random. It's not random. And, man, I have to tell you, I feel the Spirit of the Lord all over this message tonight. And I don't know what exactly He has in store for us by the time it's all said and done and His Word has been spoken, but I got a feeling tonight. And I don't get up here and say that often, but I've been praying fervently for you guys in this particular message for two weeks now, since we got ripped on last week due to the weather. See, I think the devil might have known something was up, and he tried to delay it, but he can't delay the inevitable. God's word will go forth. The gospel will transform lives. His kingdom will be built, and God reminded the devil that even though you may try, the gates of hell won't prevail against my word and what it seeks to accomplish in its purposes. So I really feel like God's got something special for us tonight, and it's going to come out of Luke chapter 5. And we're going to pick up in verse 17 where God's word reads, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, to heal. So even in this particular moment, Jesus had a little extra something on him that particular day. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus has been ministering in the region of Capernaum, which was essentially like a home base for him while he was on the earth. And as he's teaching, we're told that some men had heard that he had made his way back into town. So they grab their paralyzed buddy and they take him to the house that Jesus was teaching at. And I don't know if you're familiar with this story or not. It's actually a very familiar passage for me. And I feel like it could be very familiar for a lot of you as well. But let me caution you on something. Be very careful with familiarity. Because when you become familiar with something, you stop looking at it with the same intentionality and its impact can be diminished. And so the scary thing about us becoming familiar oftentimes with God or with his word is that we can become familiar with his grace. We can become familiar with his love. We can become familiar with his forgiveness. We can become familiar with his patience so much so that it diminishes it to the point where it no longer has the same impact upon our lives that it once carried. So be careful with the way in which you get familiar with the things of God. And so this is a familiar passage for me. And as I began reading and studying through it, I asked God to help me see this in a new, fresh way, as if really for the first time, almost. Now, the highlights remain obvious, and I want to go ahead and pull them out just for the sake of setting up our title in a few moments. Jesus is in town. These friends hear about it. They load up their paralyzed buddy. When they get there, the house, we're told, is so packed and so crammed that they can't get inside to the room where Jesus is doing his teaching at. And so they hatch a plan to get their buddy on top of the roof, bed included, pry a hole in whoever's home this is, and lower their friend down through the roof so they could get him in front of Jesus so that perhaps he might could be healed. So just to bring somebody to Jesus, these guys dealt with a man who couldn't move, a crowd who wouldn't move, and a roof that had to be moved, and a system put in place by which to lower him down just to get him in front of Jesus. That being said, here's our title for tonight. No more excuses. How many of you have ever made an excuse before? I looked up something the other day. I actually did kind of a little Google thing. I want to know what were some of the most outlandish excuses teachers had ever been given. And so I came across a few wild and weird things that people in school of various ages, from kindergarten all the way up to a senior in high school, had given their teachers as an excuse for why they didn't do their work. Here are a few of what I found. Maybe you could find some of them beneficial if you need them. One kindergartner... Uh, told his teacher that his math homework actually caught on fire. So he wasn't able to do it. One first grader told his teacher that my mom forgot to pray for me this morning, so that's why I'm not following directions. 
That's a pretty good one, I'm not going to lie. How can you handle that one as a teacher? One sixth grader told his teacher that my grandma needed the computer to chat with her boyfriend. So I couldn't hop on for Zoom class. One other student said, I couldn't finish the assignment because my pencil ran out of ink. Some of y'all will get it a little bit later. And then there's one that just gave the good old, my cat ate my laptop excuse. I don't really know how that physically works out, but you know, one thing about kids is they have an unbelievable imagination, even when it comes to making excuses for how they can get out of doing their work. We've all made excuses at times for various things and for various reasons for why we didn't do what we were supposed to do. And I'm going to share this just as a kind of a life lesson, but here's what I found is that most times excuses are just explanations for failures. So that's why we come up with them. We explain away why we didn't succeed whatever task it was we were expected to be successful at. And people can find all kinds of excuses. In the same sense, when it comes to believing in Jesus, when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to obeying Jesus, people can find all kinds of excuses not to or why they can't. And I'm as guilty as anyone. Now listen, it's not about me taking a staff and beating you over the head with it tonight because I'm a professional excuse maker just like many of you in this room are tonight as well. I can find an excuse for just about anything and I don't even have to search that hard to come up with one. But we're fixing to deal with the excuses a little bit tonight because they need to be done away with. Now that being said, I need you to understand that this is challenging but it's not condemning. This is about Jesus' calling on your life, not his criticizing of your life. He has some really amazing truth to bring out, but we need to be able to receive it. So let's pray one more time to make sure we can do just that. God, my prayer is that you would help me by your spirit to share it just as you have shown it that your people may be edified and that you may be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Let's look at this situation with these friends bringing their paralyzed buddy to Christ. And I want to show you some things about how they absolutely refuse to accept or to take advantage of any excuse that would have been in their way. So the first thing that we're going to see particularly that stands out about this group of friends is that they were absolutely undeterred by obstacles. Mark actually, in his gospel account, details for us that there were four men that carried this man to Jesus. And I want to make sure you see all the obstacles that they worked through just to make it happen, any one of which they could have used as an excuse to just say, forget it. It's not worth it. It's way more trouble than it's worth. So it might have been a good idea at the beginning, but it's just not going to work out. So sorry, my friend. You're just going to have to continue to deal with your infirmity. They had any number of an excuse that they could use to not bring their friend to Christ, but they refused to accept it. So let's look at any one of these things they could have used. Number one is just the fact that their friend was paralyzed. It's not easy to carry a full-grown person, especially one that has no, from what we can tell from the account, no ability to carry themselves whatsoever. It's like trying to pick up a limp noodle. It's just dead weight. You can't do it. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not like it was balanced. It's uneven weight. 
This man is absolutely unable to help himself whatsoever. So just the fact that their friend was paralyzed could have been an obstacle enough to deter them from getting him to Jesus. On top of that, when they got there, the scripture details for us that the house was full. So even once they go to the trouble to get this man to Jesus, when they arrive there, they can't even get to Jesus because the crowd is so crammed into this man's house, they can't get to him. So in the same sense, this would have been a great opportunity for them to see an excuse and take it and say, well, at least we tried. You know, We got you this far, so you can't say that we're not at least decent friends because at least we made this much of an effort. It just didn't work out. Maybe next time. Once they refused to take that as an excuse, then the only way that they could see as a possibility to get this man to Jesus was through the roof. And it would have been very easy for them at this point to look at that and say, is it really worth all that? Because it's not just them getting themselves up on the roof. It's them getting a paralyzed man while still on his bed on top of the roof. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever tried or attempted to get on top of the roof of your house or your apartment wherever it is that you live, but just simply laying a ladder up against the side of your house and climbing up it to get on top of the roof is a sketchy thing by yourself. Try to get a full-grown man up there who cannot move for himself while still laying on his bed almost seems like an impossible task. It's not like they could have called one of their buddies who had like a caterpillar with a bucket on the front so, hey, man, you mind coming over here and, and, and scooping up Johnny like, and help give us an assist on the roof thing? Like, we're trying to get him to Jesus for crying out loud. They had to come up with some kind of plan to get this man on top of the roof. And then on top of that, they had to get through the roof to lower this man down. So they had to find some kind of pulley system, some kind of rope or something that was laying around to tie on the corners of this man's bed just so they could then lower him down to get him in front of Jesus. So this group of friends... They had any number of things they could have used as an excuse to not get their buddy to Jesus, but they would not be deterred. These four men each got a corner of the bed. They lifted this man up, and off they went. When they saw the house was full, when they encountered a group of people who would not let them in, they said, to the roof we go. We are going to get our friend to Christ. There is not going to be anything or anybody that is going to deter us from doing what we set out to do because we know Jesus can do something in this man's life that nobody else can. Now, let me point out something. The vast majority of these people that had crowded into this place were there to see Jesus merely as spectators. They were intrigued by Jesus, but they had no intentions to invest in Jesus. They had heard about the things that he had done, signs, wonders, miraculous healings, word about Christ had spread, about the things that he was doing that was just supernatural. It did not make sense. It, it defied natural law. It defied physics. And a lot of these people crowded into that place just because they wanted to see the spectacle of who Christ was and what he was doing. A lot of these people were there simply as spectators. They were intrigued by the reality of Jesus. They did not want to invest 
in the person of Jesus. And let me say this in all love and respect. If you are a spectator, please don't hinder the seekers from getting to Jesus. These people could have moved out of the way to let these guys and their friend through, but they had no regard, they had no respect for what they were trying to do, for the ailments of this particular man and the need that he was desiring to have met in Christ. They just continued to stay in the way. They scoffed at these men and the thought that they would bring somebody like this to Christ. If you're a spectator of Christ, please do not get in the way of those who are seeking Christ. Now let me say this, because I want you to understand this in a proper way. Some of you here tonight, you may be a spectator. You've heard about Christ. You're intrigued by the things you've heard. Maybe you have gotten wind of some of the things that have taken place around here and the lives that are being changed, and you're trying to get a look at Jesus. That is perfectly fine. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for wanting to spectate. Thank you for being intrigued by Christ. I thank God that you've drawn into this place by the work of his power and the moving of his spirit. But can I beg you, please don't remain someone who stands on the side and just watches what Christ does in everybody else when he stands ready to do it in you as well. That's fine if you're curious. It's fine if you've got questions. It's fine if you want to crowd in to see what Christ is doing. But I beg and I plead with you, don't let it end right there. Don't let it end right there. He's got so much more for you to experience than what so many of these people just saw as a show. Let him change your life. And at the same time, don't discourage those who are trying to get to him right now. Let them come. Now, just imagine the effort that it took to get this man up on the roof. I can't even fathom trying to get a full-grown man on top of somebody else's roof, especially in those days. A lot of houses back then, they didn't have pitched roofs like we do which I think would actually make it easier. You prop something up and you've got an angled roof. You get up there and you lay them on top of it and you can kind of just push them up. These were flat roofs. It's a very dry and arid place. And like they had to worry about torrential rainfall like we do around here. So their roofs could be flat. So not only did they have to find a way to get themselves up there, they had to find a way to get this man up there while at the same time not tumping him off his bed in the process. Can you imagine what that would look like? Like all these people are packed in to see Jesus. And you look off to the side and there's this group of guys. They're trying to get this paralyzed guy on his bed up on the roof, and all of a sudden they like lose their balance and he tumps off on the side. It's been an awful scene, like terrible. Not trying to make light of the situation, but just imagine like how people were looking at them like, what in the world? Oh, the bat dropped him. Okay, they're good. They got him up there. And then once they get there, they, they tore the owner of this house's roof up. Now, some truths are harder to discern in scriptures than others, but I want to just say that when it comes to tearing roofs off of houses, you can't do that. That's frowned upon. Even in our society today, if you were to climb up on somebody's roof with a sledgehammer and start knocking holes in it, you would get arrested. You can't do that kind of that's destruction of property. So they get up on top of this man's house and they start tearing a hole in his roof. On top of that, he was probably a wealthy guy. And we can infer that because Luke gives us a detail. They said that he had a tiled roof. Now that's something back then. 
Most of these people just had your good old palm branches and some mud they spit on and packed in in between the leaves and all that stuff. Like it wasn't fancy living back then, but we're told that this guy, he had some money or something because if you had that, then you were able to go to some of the builders, some of the carpenters at that time, and, and they would make clay bricks or clay tiles that they would mold and form together and set out in the sun, and they would dry bake, and they, they would put them up and make a roof out of it, seal it in, mortar it, kind of like we do now. So this guy had a nice house. And all of a sudden, he looks up, and like there's, there's dirt and clay and mud falling off, and all of a sudden, like a little hole opens up, and there's like a guy peeking in the hole. And then the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And this guy's like, what in the world are y'all doing to my house? They tore a hole big enough, mind you, not to get a foot through, but to get a full-size mattress with a man on it through the roof. This is a very, very costly damage to this man's house. And don't you think it was awkward anyway? I mean, all these guys are, are packed in. They're trying to listen to Jesus and hear what he has to say. And here's these guys up on the roof just getting after it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, a, it's like a sincere moment, right? It's like it, it would have looked similar to this. Jesus is teaching the people, and they're gathered in, and it's kind of quiet, and everybody's taking in the details of what Jesus is teaching. And then just imagine all of a sudden you hear like a jackhammer on top of the roof, and a little bit of light comes through, and all of us are like, what in the world? Imagine how awkward it must have been for those guys. They're just crashing through this guy's roof in the middle of Jesus' teaching. But they got him in front of Jesus. Here's where I'm going with this. As followers of Christ, we've got to stop making excuses for evangelism. If you are a follower of Jesus, we've got to stop making excuses for evangelism. We've got to stop making excuses for why we're not bringing people to Jesus. We've got to stop making excuses for why we are not boldly sharing the gospel. We've got to stop making excuses for why we are not day in and day out fighting for the lost souls that are perishing around us. And I know some of us kind of have this mentality, and I've had this mentality as well, that there are some people that we are around that God has placed within our sphere of influence that we think are way too far gone and that the odds of them accepting are so small that they're really not worth fooling with or spending the effort on anymore, that's not to be our concern. This man was paralyzed. All right, listen to me. He was a low odd. It was a low odd that this man could ever get to Jesus and receive the healing that he needed. And if it wasn't an excuse for these men, then it can no longer continue to remain an excuse for those of us who are men and women of God today. Low odds of somebody coming to Christ cannot be an excuse for why we not will continue to beg and plead and petition to God on their behalf for the salvation of their souls. Asking them, to come and be a part of what God's doing him, sharing the gospel with him. That cannot be an excuse any longer. On top of that, I know it requires a lot of effort, and it requires some sacrifice that will always be met by obstacles when it comes to sharing the gospel with other people. You can five-star lock it. You set your heart to sharing the gospel with the people around you. You are going to be met with all kinds of obstacles in doing that very thing. People are going to get in your way, 
You're going to experience temporary setbacks, quite possibly, in the relationship. These guys experienced the same thing. They experienced a crowd who would not get out of the way. That was a setback, or it very well could have been for them. And yet it did not set itself up as an excuse for them to take advantage of. So obstructions can no longer be an excuse for us when it comes to evangelism and sharing the gospel with those around us. And I know, on top of all that, here's the biggie. It certainly can be socially awkward and uncomfortable when it comes to engaging people with the gospel. I don't even have to ask you to raise your hand to answer whether or not it makes you clammy just at the thought of having a gospel conversation with someone. Most of us, myself included, are petrified at times. It can be socially awkward can be a very uncomfortable thing. We get worried about what might be said. We get worried about facing a question that we don't know exactly how to give an answer to. But listen to him, it could have been very socially awkward for these men, and it was indeed, as they were tearing the roof off of somebody else's house that they did not know who owned, yet they did it anyway because it was just that desperate, and they were just that determined to get their friend in front of Jesus. So awkwardness can no longer be an excuse for those of us who are men and women of God when it comes to sharing the gospel. Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, Jesus gave a solution just for that. He says, don't worry about the things that you're going to say when they drag you before the councils and when they drag you before the high priest because my spirit will give you exactly the words that need to be spoken when that time comes. You don't need to worry about it being awkward. You don't need to worry about it being uncomfortable. If you surrender yourself over to Christ, he will take care of you in that moment and give you exactly the words that need to be spoken in that situation. Are we really going to continue to allow social awkwardness be an excuse for why we don't reach out and try and grasp lost souls? A while back, we went out to eat with a group of friends at Lost Pizza, actually. Any fans? Any fans of Lost Pizza? I'm down with Lost Pizza, man. That place is good. And we got done eating, and I had some leftovers, and so, which is a rare thing for me, you know. But I had some leftovers, and so I got a carry-out box, and we get outside the restaurant, and we're standing there, and we're talking. There's four or five of us. And you know, there's that park bench that kind of sits along the side of the building right there. And I look down, and there's a homeless man sitting on the bench. And he's quite obviously homeless just by his appearance. And I look over there, and we kind of make, like, awkward eye contact for an extended amount of time, like long enough to be noticeable. And so I kind of turn around and look back and get back in the conversation with my friends and I kind of glance over there again, and we, like, make awkward eye contact again. So I turn back around, and in that moment, I felt the Spirit of God grab me and so vividly tell me, go over there, sit down on that bench, give your man, or give that man your leftovers, and share Jesus with him. Now, I stand here before you guys each and every week, and I'm about to confess something that may shock you, and you may never come back to this place again because you think I'm a terrible leader, I'm a terrible person, I'm a terrible pastor, but I'm a person. I have flaws, and I have failures, and I have fears just like any one of y'all. I turned back around, and I was like... And I could feel the Spirit prompting 
again. And I was like, mm -mm. <laughs> And so we moved down the sidewalk a little way. We start walking back towards where I was parked at, and we stopped, and we're kind of engaged in the conversation again. I can still feel the Spirit of God. Hey, go back. And I'm like, mm -mm. No. No, not going to do that. And so I turn around, I turn my back to the guy. We're getting ready to leave. One last time, man, I just feel the Spirit of God. Get back. Sit down by that man. I turn back around and I look. I'm going to do it this time. I'm like, okay, done. I'm going to wrestle with the Lord on this any longer. Turn back around and look. He's gone. I walk back down there. I'm like, well, he couldn't have gone far. I look down the street. He's gone. I look up towards the fountain. Nowhere to be found. Never saw the guy again. Now, that being said, God asked me to do something, to share his love, to share his grace, to share his mercy, to share his comfort with somebody. And out of fear of social awkwardness, I didn't do it. Surely it's not coincidence that we were at Lost Pizza. And this man was lost in darkness. I don't know. All I know is I missed the opportunity. And it pains me to sit here and admit that before you guys. But I tell it to you to say this. We can no longer allow those excuses to take ownership over what Christ has called us to do. And if we'll learn to push through all of that, doing whatever we can to get people who need Jesus to Jesus, we can see some amazing things happen. One more thing worth pointing out. These friends, they were united in their effort. And they accomplished it. That being said, we need to be linked up together as well. One unit for one mission to reach the world. No more excuses. Let me show you this next thing. These friends, they were undeterred by obstacles. And this man that was paralyzed, he was unrestrained by brokenness. And we're fixing to kick it like into warp speed. So I hope you're ready. From what this account shows us, this man who was paralyzed, he didn't object to being taken to Jesus. And you may be thinking, well, duh, Trey. Surely he wouldn't object to being healed. But there was more to it than just that for this man. We're told that Jesus saw faith in all of these men that were involved. So he looked up on the roof, and after they had lowered him down, it says that he saw their faith. And so as Jesus looked up at these friends, as he looked up at this man as he was being lowered down, he, he saw faith was involved. When he saw this within the friends, what he saw was a faith that could heal this man physically. But what he saw within the man that was paralyzed was a faith that could heal him spiritually. And now how do I know that? Because when this man finally gets down to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, Jesus doesn't just flippantly forgive sins. There has to be confession. There has to be an admittance of a sinfulness from us. So we don't know if this man actually said anything to Jesus or not. We just see what Jesus says to him. But I think Jesus looked inside the depths of this man's heart and his soul, and he saw that this man understood and had the faith that he needed to be cleansed of more than just his physical ailments. This man knew he needed Jesus. This man knew that it wasn't just his body that was broken. It was his soul that was broken as well. And so as he, as he lowered down in front of Jesus, 
he becomes even more aware, I think, of his unrighteousness because the closer you get to righteousness, the more aware you become of your unrighteousness. And this man knew that he was a sinner. And by the time he got face to face with Jesus, his faith wasn't just that Jesus would renew his body, but that Christ would redeem his soul. But you know, he also could have found any number of excuses to not have himself brought to Jesus. He could have told his buddies, hey, I appreciate it, guys. Don't fool with me. I'm really not worth it. Really not worth the trouble. <laughs> I mean, Jesus has way more important things, way more important people to take care of anyway. I don't want to get in the way of what he's doing. I don't want to take up any of his time because I'm not worth it. I don't have the best life, no. I don't enjoy laying on this bed. It's not fun living the kind of life that I have. I wish I could get up and do the things that everybody else around me does. I don't have the best life, but it's not the worst either. You know what? I've actually learned to manage with it. I've actually learned to deal with my own brokenness. It's fine. I can manage. It's been a part of my life for so long now. It's really not that big a deal anymore. And here's the deal, guys. My heart is heavy because I know some of you are using your brokenness as an excuse to not come to Jesus. And you may think some of the same things that this guy could have possibly thought of himself, that you're not worth it, that I'm just a broken up piece of garbage, that I am the last thing that Jesus would want to fool with, the things that I've done, the places I've been, the words that I have spoken, these are things that are uncleansable. These are things that are unforgivable. These are things that are unredeemable. Listen to me, you've got to let go of all that. This isn't about how badly broken and beyond repair that you think you may be. This is about the grace and the love and the mercy and the compassion and the forgiveness of a mighty Savior who has promised that whoever calls on his name shall be saved. Listen to me. You may use your brokenness as an excuse, but God uses it as an entrance. And my heart breaks week in and week out because I know there are some of you here week in and week out that use the brokenness of your life as an excuse to not come to Christ because you think that he is, he is not going to take the time to redeem what you think is unredeemable. That you think you are too broken, you are too messed up, you are too far beyond grace and that is so beyond the truth of what he wants to speak into your life. This guy could have very easily said, Jesus, I appreciate what you want to try and do for me here, but don't bother. Don't bother. I understand you came to do a lot of good things. And I look around this room at all these other people that are so much better off than I am, so much more important than I am. Please, please, just, just send me back up through the roof. It's fine. I'm just thankful that I had the opportunity to get this close to you. But really, you don't have to bother me. And Jesus, in his love and his grace and his mercy, looked at this man and says, man, I see your faith. Your sins are forgiven you. And it doesn't just end there. It doesn't just end there. Because Here we go. We're going to finish up right here. We're done. On top of all that, one, one last point to pull out is that these, these friends and this man in particular, they were unpersuaded by doubts. So if you go back and look at the text, after Jesus does this, he forgives this man of his sins. Look at what the religious crowd does. This is infuriating to me in so many ways. In verse 21, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins? But God alone, 
This man, did you realize? This man has just received forgiveness for his sins. His soul in that moment has just been made new. He is now a new creation in Christ. All of the nasty stuff that he is, all of his unrighteousness, all of his sin, all of his iniquity, all of his failure, all the gross places that he's been, all the gross activities he may have participated in, all of those things in that very moment were taken away and absolved by Christ. And a religious crowd comes in and says, you can't do that. You can't forgive sins. Who are you? Are you God? We know you're not God. Now, how would you imagine and we see a lost soul come to Christ around here and we celebrate and we shout and it says all of heaven does so along with us. Now imagine you give your life to Christ and the first people that you encounter that are surrounded by your bed are looking at the man, the only one who has the authority to forgive you and cleanse you of your sins and they start casting all this doubt saying, you can't do that. This is blasphemy. Who is this Jesus person? He can't forgive sins. That only lies within the authority of God to do. And it would have been very easy for this man, I think, in that moment to hear the doubts of these religious people and perhaps instantly lose hope in the hope that he was just given. But look at what happens. After Jesus has a brief conversation with him, he's forgiven this man of his sins. Now keep in mind, he still hasn't been healed physically yet probably thought that was the only thing he was going to get. But Jesus first forgives his sins. And the reality is, is that that could have been all that Jesus did. He may have never taken another step further. But he looks at this man and he says, Hey, I know this crowd over here. What I'm fixing to do is not for them because they'll never accept it. I'm going to do this for you because I don't want this to be how you remember what I've done for you. Rise, take your bed, and go home. You ever walked up to a paralyzed person and told them to get up? the audacity of Jesus to do such a thing. But from what we can see, this man without hesitation stands up, he takes his bed, says peace to the religious folk and walks out brand new. You may have come in here broken tonight the good news is you can leave healed. You can leave redeemed. You can leave renewed. You can leave restored. And don't listen to the doubts of the devil. I'm going to speak this to everybody. For those of you that are already born again and redeemed, some of y'all, I think, have been persuaded by some of the doubts of the devil that you can't be used, that your disobedience has disabled God, that it's hindering what he might call you to do, that you have no value in his kingdom. Put those doubts aside 
God has redeemed you. He has raised you up. He's told you in the same manner. And take your bed and get up and walk. But don't walk the same anymore. Don't walk like you once used to. Walk in this newness of life that I have given you. And on the other side of that, there's some of you here tonight who, who need Jesus. And the devil wants to throw some doubts in your mind as well. That just like this man, he's not going to do it. He may say that he can forgive. He may say that he can heal. He may say that he has the authority to do all these things. But the, the devil that persuaded these Pharisees to say the things that they did to this man will pitch you the same cell tonight. He can't do that. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the authority. I'm telling you tonight, he is the only one who has the authority. And he will set you free. He will forgive you of your sins. He will heal you not just physically, but even more so spiritually. But you've got to set aside the excuses. No more excuses. No more coming into this place, feeling the Spirit of God draw you into his love and his grace and his mercy and forgiveness and doing like I did that night in front of the park bench and walking away, fighting it off until the next time because there may not be another chance. There may not be another opportunity. And yes, I get passionate because nothing else matters than you knowing Jesus. Don't let the opportunity pass you by. When it was all said and done, this man, he gets up and walks out and everybody's kind of like, whoo! That dude was paralyzed. We watched him bringing him on his bed. We watched him try and get him up on top of the roof. We watched him lower him in. We watched him go through all of that. And now he's walking out of here. And it says that amazement and awe sees them all. And did you see what they said? It says, we have seen extraordinary things today. You know what that tells me? It tells me when we remove our excuses, God releases the extraordinary. If you will remove your excuses tonight, men and women, we can leave this place when it's all said and done, having seen some extraordinary things take place in our midst. And you have the faith to believe. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.